Hello, America, and welcome to You Scared of This, a weekly podcast where two grown adult men watch every episode of Nickelodeon's classic TV horror anthology program from the year 2000 and try to figure out if it's still even just the tiniest bit scary. If there's that just is, a drop of scare in it. That show is Are You Afraid of the Dark? We Are You Scared of This? And my name is David Dykus, and, and I sound a little bit sniffly this morning. More so than usual, so forgive me. And my name is Eli Phillips, and I sound less sniffly than usual. So, congratulate well, good me. Good for you. Yeah, feels great. <sighs> Fuck you. <sighs> While Eli's enjoying those deep breaths. Uh, <laughs> we, anyway, we want to welcome everyone to the show. Eli, I mean, aside from your... Uh, I was going to ask how you're doing, but it sounds like you're doing some deep breathing breathing exercises. Yep. Just taking in the day. Have you fully recovered from your uh, DMB experience last week? I've finally come down from my week-long Dave Matthews band high. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that. We have we have much and more to talk about this week. Much and more, both. This week, we're reviewing the 88th episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Jesus Christ. The Tale of the Last Dance. An episode with not much dancing in it, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Well, they build up to the dancing. The Tale of the (laughs) Only Dance. Anyway. The Tale of the Dance. (laughs) It's a forbidden dance that kills. (laughs) What's what's the joke in Bob's Burgers where they're having the dance off and Gene is like, No moves are forbidden except the forbidden move. That was one. Of, that is one of my favorite Gene lines. It's so stupid. <laughs> he gets the best. He gets the best lines in that show. Um, do we have any nude business we need to talk about before we get going? Any uh, Nickelodeon news that we may have missed? Nothing that is like pressing or important or even that relevant to us. But I did want to mention that uh, Nickelodeon is developing a hip hop animated series with like ninety-five-year-old man Norman Lear. Well, I'm sure this is this can only go well. I'm yeah, sure this is exactly what the kids are going to be into when this show comes out. Norman Lear, the creator of what, like Sanford and Sons and the Jeffersons and All in the Family, is oh, making Lord. a show about kids trying to become hip hop stars. Norman Lear is ninety five years old. I, I assume he's just now learning what hip hop is. Yeah, <laughs> someone should put that on television. The show will be called Man of the House. Uh, it is Wait about. A minute. What? Yep, that was already a thing. Uh, it is about an 11 year old boy and his downstairs neighbor, and their hip hop act. And Norman Lear is 95 now, uh, years old. You cannot put a show on television and call it Man of the House, and expect me to believe that it is anything but a reboot and/or continuation of the Tim Allen film of the same name. I thought that. I thought that movie was Chevy Chase. Maybe I'm confusing it with Jungle to Jungle. I think you most certainly are. Well, where's my Jungle to Jungle reboot? I think they made a show of that. Oh. Well, good. I'm gonna check on that. Did they make a show of Jungle to Jungle? They made a sequel. You're right, that, uh, that... The movie Man of the House did star Chevy Chase, my mistake. Latter-day Chevy Chase and Jonathan Taylor Thomas. So I guess I had nothing to be upset about. I didn't know it that well. Calm down, Dykus. You're fine. <laughs> the important thing to remember here is that Norman Lear is 95 years old. 
Okay. That's really the t- the only. Just keep telling yourself anytime you think of man of the house. Norman Lear is ninety five years old. Actually, I should say that uh, according to this article, man of the house is the working title of the show. So, by the time the show comes out, the name might have changed, and Norman Lear might be dead. <laughs> anyway, uh, what were we talking about? The Last Dance. That's right, the tale of the Last Dance. Let me pull up the episode information really quickly. Like you said, it's the 88th episode of Are You Afraid of the Ark? Are You Afraid of the Ark? <laughs> that Noah-themed <laughs> horror game that came out on the PlayStation 1. <laughs> or a documentary about people who are terrified of uh, that Australian man who owns an Ark in Kentucky. Or that. Yeah. Which is to say me. Well, I'm afraid yeah, of that Yeah, that's guy. true. I'm, I'm kind of afraid of that, too. For, yeah. Ken, whatever. It is the 88th episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? The 10th episode of the final season. It is the fourth episode from the end. This episode was written by Mark D. Perry and directed, I believe, by Jim Donovan. Yes. And it aired on May 21st, 2000. My brother's birthday. Happy birthday, Nolan. Yeah, who actually just had his birthday anyway, so happy birthday, Nolan. Yeah, happy slightly belated actual birthday. Happy slightly belated actual birthday and 18 years late birthday uh, that we are referencing here. Yes. Uh, As I was saying, The Last Dance was written by Mark D. Perry, which uh, Mark, his last episode was The Tale of the Stone Maiden, which I think we both kind of liked. Kind of liked it, yeah. And uh, Jim Donovan's last episode was The Tale of Highway 13, which we both really liked, right? Yeah, we both enjoyed that, I think, more than we expected to. Oh, excuse me. His last episode was The Tale of the Time Trap, which we also both really liked. So Jim's uh, doing a good job here, and I think Mark did fine. So this is going to be something to look forward to. And when we begin the tale of The Last Dance, uh, we learn that this is an Andy story, The Last Andy story. Mm Mm-hmm. And he decides he's going to treat everyone to a violin concert. He says he's been taking lessons, and he's brought his violin with him. Although I have to, I, my mind went in several pervy directions during this opening scene. Uh, what is it of that Andy says? How does he introduce this? I have no idea. What does he say that's pervy? He walks up to the campfire and says, like, Who's up tonight? I am. And I've got a special surprise. And I immediately expected to hear, Zip. You are such a pervert. And I've got a special surprise. No, Andy has <laughs> brought his violin with him. He starts playing, and it turns out poor Andy is just awful. Have you ever played the violin? I've tried. I'm I'm about as good as Andy. That's how good I am, too. I had a violin for a while. I traded it to someone for something. I can't remember what. And I never, ever played it. And then one day I was homesick with nothing to do because I was just in bed feeling horrible. So I just tried to... I was like, I'm going to sit in bed all day sick and teach myself the violin. And let me tell you, I did about three quarters of that plan. The part I failed at, obviously, was the violin. I did a great job of sitting in bed sick for a whole day. Stay in bed. Check. Be sick. Check. Learn to play the violin. Maybe next time. It's hard, man. It is hard. I can't I can't fault Andy here. He's just getting started. So this concert turns into a complete disaster. Everyone is horrified by what they hear. Oh, stop. Please. Oh, man. Come on. Oh, stop. And he says something like, you know what, maybe I do sound a little bit rusty. Quinn comes back immediately with, Yeah, kind of like a rusty I swear to God, I thought he was going to say trombone. Yeah, it immediately came to mind. 
No, he actually says, Yeah, kind of like a rusty gate. Quinn, he... Just, all, just pretty good quip. It's, it's I mean, fine. I appreciate him trying. I'm equal parts sad and relieved he didn't say rusty trombone on <laughs> Are You Afraid of the Dark? <laughs> but, but anyway, Andy's story is about, it's about music. Uh, some people are passionate about music, and some people are, are passionate about being with musicians. And will do anything to something. Be a creep. The tale of the last dance. Before we meet any of our characters, Andy gives us a little narration where we learn about the setting of this episode, which is a place called Warrenville Recreational Center. Yeah. It's a place where you can get yourself clean, have a good meal, do whatever you feel. Learn to play the violin, which I don't think that's what they were talking about in that song. It's it's subtextual. Um, there's no, it's there's not even a violin in that song. Well, it's a rec center. It's like the it's like a YMCA where you can learn all manner of things, including but not limited to learning how to play the violin. Uh, unfortunately, but, this place is about to be torn down and replaced with a strip mall. Uh, sort of commentary on that period of time. Yeah, back when strip mall. I guess strip malls are still a, a common occurrence. Well, yeah, but this this does sound like a, a premise for like a, an eighties. Like not even 80s. This sounds like something that Hey Arnold would have to stop. Yeah, the old we have to save the rec center from being bulldozed and turned into condos or mini malls or whatever. Like he's sad and he meets the homeless guy who plays violin at the rec center and he's like, your music is so beautiful. We can't let anyone stop this. Hey, I have a great idea. Instead of pull- <laughs> God damn it. Instead of putting <laughs> this mini ball where the rec center was, we'll bury it underground. Instead of bulldozing this this uh, rec center, we'll drop it oh, off the, the imp- entire state building. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, obscure Rugrats jokes. So we don't we don't hear a word of dialogue for the first five minutes of this episode. Instead, we follow the camera into the auditorium where we see our main young protagonist, a young lady named Tara, who is giving a violin concert for her friends and a pretty big audience here. Yeah, she's giving a violin performance, and we're kind of focusing on like two things here. One is her boyfriend in the audience who is asleep. And the other is a mysterious hole in the ceiling where the Ninja Turtles are hiding and watching her. Yep, something like that. Uh, Yeah, her asshole boyfriend falls asleep and then gets up and just leaves mid-song. Yeah, he sneaks out like he's in church. She carries on like a pro, uh, but as she's playing this song, she's playing Pachelbel's Cannon, by the way. As she's playing Pachelbel's Cannon in D, we see... Some sort of liquid fall on her sheet music from the ceiling, and then a pencil drops down and lands on her music stand. I actually like this entire opening sequence, that the fact that they're able to tell it all, all visually, and we don't get a lot of, of talking. It puts it, This is an episode where the, a lot of emphasis is on music, and I'm glad they kind of just let the music and the, the visuals tell the story. Yeah, and the camera work here is really good, too. They really emphasize sort of all of the things that you need to sort of start figuring things out or start asking questions like it sets up a lot of mystery by zooming in on this grate that's above her and zooming in on her sheet music as the water drips on it it's building a lot of tension because no one is saying anything and all of this strange stuff is happening so later on we cut to tara and her friend in the cafeteria tara's excited because she's going to be playing violin at the last dance which is literally the last dance this rec center is going to host She's also super pissed about her boyfriend skipping out on her, and they're all kind of having a conversation about that. Yeah, speak of the devil, Michael, her boyfriend, comes in. Michael is some sort of 1950s greaser slimeball. In the year 2000. 
who just could not be bothered to give a fuck about what his girlfriend is doing. He's a like it's one of those situations where they need him to be an asshole for story purposes, but there's no reason why this person would be with him. And when we are introduced to him, he does not apologize for falling asleep during her concert because he, quote unquote, doesn't like that dead guy stuff. Which is like the by the time you are his age, even if you don't enjoy classical music, I don't think you have like an 11 year old's immature resentment of it. Apparently he left to go work out, which is even douchier. Yeah, they make a lot of jokes about how he's uh, a jock, I guess. As all this is happening, we learn there's an unseen voyeur creeping on them from within the vents, and we get some nice, some scary point-of-view shots from their perspective. There's someone up in the ceiling tiles again, uh, just like there was during the performance, and this eventually leads to one of the ceiling tiles breaking and collapsing and falling on them, and we get sort of a fake-out scare happening, as they all have to dodge out of the way before they're hit by a ceiling tile, which, like, is not going to hurt you that bad. No, I mean, that was probably going to happen anyway. They joke about how the the building is falling apart. Yeah, like, no one is surprised by a ceiling tile falling down. Later that day, while Michael is toweling off after, I guess, another workout, he discovers that his greaser leather jacket has been slashed up. And also, it turns out there's a secret passage running through the locker rooms. They don't really pay much much heed to this. Uh, Later still, or I guess concurrently as that's happening, Tara's violin disappears from its locker, taken by the unseen figure hiding in the vents. Mm Mm-hmm. and we get a lot of heavy breathing from within the vent that's kind of scary. I tell you, man, this place is a disaster waiting to happen. I will say that, like, all of this stuff about the thing in the vents, it, it made me really uncomfortable. Uh, I felt the same way. It's unnerving. Like, they do a really good job of building up the tension of what ever is lurking in the vents. So all of the characters kind of reconvene. She's freaked out about her missing violin. He's freaked out about his wrecked leather jacket. He is completely and totally unsympathetic. He paid buku bucks for it. What? I paid buku bucks for this. What a terrible line. She is like pretty incensed that he's not paying attention to her violin. Like he doesn't care that it's missing. Uh, he's made out to be an insensitive jerk again, which he totally is. This character is perhaps un- irredeemable. It's, it gets to the point where all the other characters start going out of their way to tell Michael how stupid he is. You know, for a smart guy, you're kind of not very smart. What? Things take a bit of a turn in the next scene as a hooded, hunchbacked figure stalks through the cafeteria that night. Uh, and we see this figure digging through the trash for a photograph of Tara that Michael, for reasons too stupid to get into, chucked in the trash. And I guess let's talk about this uh, hooded figure. We now know that there is a person who wears a weird cloak and yep. sneaks through the vents uh-huh. and is Jake the Snake. Uh, I had that later in my notes. I was going to get to it later when we learn where he lives. Yeah, I was, I was just praying this was... And he lives... I mean, I'll, we'll go and say it. He lives in like the basement in the boiler room just like Jake the Snake. I really, really was hoping this would be another snake man. Yeah, like... The 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 point of view shots that we're getting through the vents, even those were enough for me to be like, is this Jake the Snake again? And then when I saw him, this is definitely Jake the Snake again. He's back. Is Jake the Snake going to learn to dance? Is he going to learn to love? <laughs> what if this is Jake the Snake's redemption story? Oh my god. 
That would be my favorite episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark ever. It would be like at the end of that M. Night Shyamalan movie where you find out it's a sequel to the other one. Yeah. Yeah, like that one. (laughs) You know, Lady in the Water. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, God. Uh, So it's nighttime, and the girls are at the rec center still searching for the violin. And uh, this is where they spent this entire season's Dutch angle budget. This is when you know shit's about to get real. The angles start dutching. Yep. <laughs> if the if the angles are dutching, don't come up. What rhymes with dutching? Touching? Touching sounds gross. <laughs> don't come a touching. If the angles are dutching, don't come a touching. I don't know what it means. Y'all work that out for us. Where were we? Oh, yeah. So they're at the last dance, which is, I guess, it's like, it's like a prom. And yeah. Tara has stormed out upset after Michael has made an ass of himself again. Of course. So she's just wandering the hallways, and she hears a, a disturbance somewhere in the distance. Her friend goes in after her, is wandering through these creepy hallways, Dutch angles, and then, holy shit, she gets slimed. She gets carried. They really give her the, the carry treatment. She is doused with red paint, and she, for all the world, looks like she is dripping in blood. Yeah, I was so surprised by this until they made a point of showing the paint bucket afterwards. Well, they have to. Otherwise, yeah, it just looks like they gave her the carry treatment. It looks like they just used cheap, shitty blood. So Tara runs off to get help for her friend, and that's when she encounters the snake man. The hooded figure. He appears behind Tara. We also get a huge scream take from her, and we hit the commercial. At last, you can get tickets. The Phantom of the Opera. Call Telecharge now. Tara is escorted through the boiler room basement that looks like the one from Jake the Snake or from the, what's the hospital vampire one? Night shift. Yeah, it looks like one of those boiler rooms. It's big and impressive and scary, and she's being escorted through the boiler room basement by a hooded, hunchbacked, Jake the Snake-looking figure. Who does not get a name in this episode? Who are you? A mistake of evolution. He's referred to only as the Lurker. He's just credited as the Lurker. Yeah. And the Lurker has decorated his lair here with dozens and dozens of sketches of Terra. Which is hella creepy. (laughs) Yes, this scene, like, when I saw him, I was like, well, there hasn't really been enough story about this character for him to be, like, a villain. And he sounds kind of young, and he's obsessing over a young woman. So, like, there's no way that he's... It's it's so weird that he was not a just pure villain in this, and that he comes out as a redeemable character. Well, he tells Tara, like, right then and there that he's been watching her for years and planning, like, his whole life has been building to this moment where he's going to, like, capture her and take her back to his his dungeon. Which, like, she's, what, 18 years old? So she can fall in love with him. Yes! Yeah, she's clearly 17 or 18. He is, I mean, I don't know how old he is, but he's a monster man. Yeah, well, and we'll get to all of that. You can't, all you can see here is that he's in a robe, he has a hunchback, and he has weird, freaky Tim Burton penguin flipper hands. Oswald Cobblepot fucked up flipper hands. I actually, it's funny that you mentioned Oswald Oswald Cobblepot. I didn't think of that. Um, I immediately went to, like, his hands look like Nightcrawler from the X-Men, but it's kind of the same thing. They do. But this hooded figure produces her violin. Uh, He's kept it safe, and and he asks Tara for a performance. She agrees on the condition that he reveal himself. Which is super weird, because shouldn't she agree on the condition that he let her the fuck go? 
she is surprisingly cool with this date that uh, the lurker has arranged for them. He's also prepared a big table of food. I hate this so much because what's implied here is that she's so charmed by his artistic ability, like all of these gorgeous sketches of her, in that he's seen her in a way no one else has. And she's so charmed by him that she just wants to get to know him better. And it just comes off very fucking wrong. Yeah, like she falls for her captor way too quickly. She's not nearly upset enough that a a hooded man has has captured her and taken her back and imprisoned her so that he can idol worship her. It's yeah. it's it's gross. She's down for it. She tells him that she'll play for him as long as he'll remove his hood. He says he's hideous. While all of this is happening, it is important to note that uh, the troops have been rallied back at the last dance. Well, Michael is doing his best John McClane impression. He's sneaking through the, the vents trying to find his gal. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. Motherfucker, indeed. So, the lurker peels back his... Uh, I, I didn't even mention, I'm, I'm not going to include this part. I like that the lurker introduced himself as a mistake of evolution. He doesn't get a lot more of a backstory than that. Is that act- Is he Oswald Cobblepot? Was he dumped by his rich goth parents down into the sewers i mean without any evidence to the contrary i think we have to assume that's what happened how many episodes of this show have there been now where people live in the sewers and have a cooler setup than people who live in the real world like i at least four something about the like 90s slash 2000s that was a thing because it has also been ingrained in my head it's why i'm do you remember when we used to go sneak down in the sewers and i was like this place is so fucking cool like i just want to hang out down here we never found anything that cool. We just found a bunch of, like, pipes full of poop water. Yep. Anyway, uh, I'm just struck by it. So, John McClane <laughs> is coming after his girl, and she is playing a song for creepy lurker Jake the Snake. She plays Pachelbel's Cannon. He specifically requests Pachelbel. So, I guess that's the only song they could afford the rights to, since it's public domain. I was going to say, which is to say none. They spend all their budget <laughs> on this basement. So the lurker reveals himself to be, like, his face is not mutated. Nope. He's, he's just handsome. like a long-haired, vaguely handsome-looking guy, I guess. He's kind of got like a Casey Jones sort of vibe. Yeah, he kind of does. He looks like a normal guy, except for his, his monster hands. Yeah. So Terry begins to play this song. He weeps openly as it happens. Again, we get a nice sort of long musical stretch here. But then Michael shows up, ready to crash the party. Before he can make his big entrance, Tara and the monster have a quick heart-to-heart about how Michael is a stuck-up asshole and how he doesn't appreciate her. Michael hears all this from the shadows. The lurker begs Tara to join him in the underground. He says that she can play music all she wants there and, like, never have to worry about at her asshole boyfriend. We never, we never learn about what the underground is, and I'm immediately intrigued as to what he's referring to. If there's, like, a whole network of Oswald Cobblepot people... <laughs> living like in the sewers i like that that's now the word for a specific type of person i mean again, if, it feels the least offensive of the words that i could use yeah. to describe this guy if, if you were a displaced person and you decide to form a society in the sewer you were referred to as a cobblepot aside from the tim burton one oswald cobblepot was a classy gentleman yeah he was a gentleman thief yes uh so boyfriend eventually shows up and we get a he fight d- scene well, he even gets to drop a, a rad one-liner. Yeah, what does he say? That's it, Quasimodo. Show's over. Michael! Michael attempts to leave with Tara, but the monster man ambushes them, and we get a really lackluster wuss fight between Michael and the lurker. It's just like a very slow, lame punching match. 
They don't even punt each other. They just kind of like take turns shoving each other. Like there are a couple of first graders who have never like who want to get in a fight but have never done it before. It's like when you and I used to fight. Remember that fight we had with Chris where that's all we did was just like. Oh, yeah. Like grapple and shove because we didn't want to be mean and punch each other. <laughs> that's true. Ours was not a fight to the death, though. This is clearly a fight to the death because eventually I think, the. I think what happens here is that like no one actually wants to hurt each other. They both just are fighting over the girl. These are yeah. both at their core, not the world's biggest murderous assholes. Uh, and really, the worst thing that does happen is when Lurker throws a punch and John McClane dodges it. Lurker finally takes a swing and descends himself flying over the railing. Tara grabs on to save him. He says, no, no, I have to die. Just please don't <laughs> give up on your dream of music. And everyone's just weeping. It's a very emotional scene. Just as it looks like he's about to plummet to his death, Michael reaches over and pulls the Lurker back up. They have a moment. He apologizes for kidnapping Tara and just kind of lurks back into the shadows, leaving the violin behind. Lurk, lurk. <laughs> lurk, lurk. For all the shit we're giving it, the lurker is is played. I don't know who the actor was, but he's played really well and really effectively. Like he 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 does a good job of conveying emotion here that he's resigned himself to death. And then when he finally like is pulled back to safety, he gives one more glance over the shoulder at at Tara and then vanishes. For what it's it's hokey, but I thought it was well done. So this scene happens. You think the episode's over. This should be the end of the episode. No, 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 no. <laughs> we dissolve to later on, in, I guess later that night, in the boiler room. Tara comes down the stairs again. Like, he, she's found the place. She puts on Pokeball's cannon on an old-timey Victrola. A very nice-looking Victrola. Very nice. That solid gold horn. And the two, and she asks the lurker if he wants to have the last dance. Would you like the last dance? <sighs> Nothing would make me happier. And they share a slow dance to Pokéball's canon as we get some crazy video techniques that we've never seen in the show before. This looks like it's about to turn into like a '90s lovemaking session. From one of the Highlander movies, with Queen playing in the background. We're getting crossfades, picture-in-picture, slow motion. It looks like a, an early 90s meatloaf video. It does. Yeah, it looks like it looks like one of those like romantic rock love ballad things. It's so bizarre. We even get a shot of Michael, like, you can barely see it, but he's apparently there too, like, chaperoning this. I don't hate it. I, I need to say. I, I don't like, hate it. All. Oh, I loved it. This is my favorite part of the episode. People need to watch this episode just for that payoff moment. Uh, but yeah, that's how we end is it fades back to the campfire and uh, everyone tells Andy good job, which, you know, good job, Andy. Everyone is impressed with this story, but but Megan is just blown away. Yeah, everyone is impressed. <laughs> Megan is most impressed. And that's when Andy decides, he says, you know what, maybe I'll give it another try. And he pulls his violin back out. Everyone runs except Megan. Yeah, the joke is that everyone is going to run away. And so they all run away. And Andy kind of like makes this dopey, defeated face. And then Megan says no. And it's revealed that she's still there. And she says, keep going. And this time, Andy himself plays Pockbell's cannon. And he plays it flawlessly. And she is impressed. And they share a moment on the garbage couch together. As we are they going to are they going to make out on that garbage couch? I think they will. 
I mean, there are a couple of teenagers alone at a campfire on a garbage couch, and he just played the violin for her. Yep. Way to go, Andy. If this doesn't get him makeouts, then I got nothing for you. There's only one thing left to say. Funky-ass theme song. Funky-ass theme song. All right, that was the tale of the last dance. And I have to say, Eli, when I watched this the first time, I had some strong feelings about this. Before I share my thoughts, what would you think? Uh, This is an episode where... I thought there were a lot of problems with it. There are the most obvious problems, which is just that it is, in a way, problematic, right? And it's yeah. it's based on Phantom of the Opera, which, you know, goes back far enough and has a storied enough history that you forgive creepiness. But this is just teenagers, and it's creepy that this dude has been stalking a teenage girl for, like, plural years with an S. Mm-hmm. Um... Oh, because yeah. it's a, it's ambiguous how old he's supposed to be. If he's her age, I guess it's not such a weird thing. But you still have this like stalker objectification yep. thing happening. I mean, uh, this guy is a five o'clock shadow. He could be our age. Yeah, yeah, he could be a grown ass man stalking this girl and wanting her to live in the sewers with him, playing violin for him. So there's that part of it which is weird. Um, but it's it's hard not to also like. And again, this is not an appropriate thing to say, but if you ignore those creepy elements of it, the the episode does a good job of creating some really sweet moments, whether or not they're justified. Uh, the Those ending sort of that ending montage is fantastic. Uh, the fight scene, even though they're just shoving each other, the setting is dramatic. There's a lot of like really good stuff happening here. Technically, um, I would just say the problems with this episode are the problematic elements and also the fact that the early parts of the episode are kind of slow. That's something I noted here. The first half of this episode really kind of drags because a lot of it is just establishing that Tara is a nice girl and Michael is an asshole. And we keep seeing that iterated over and over and over again. Yeah. Like if you're painting such broad strokes for this Michael character, if he's going to be so generic that we're that we figure out in two scenes, we figure out how much of an asshole he is and what his problems are. We don't need to keep rehashing that. We can start doing something else. So they spent so much time on such a simple thing that I really wish they would have built those characters up or found other interesting moments to happen. And it feels like they just didn't have enough story here. To their credit, once the girl gets doused with red paint, shit gets real and it never really lets up. Absolutely. You make a really interesting point about the lurker. He's a difficult to have an opinion on. And I think that's what they were going for. They wanted a character who was like complicated. The the problem, like you said, though, is that he's obviously a, a stalker. He has this really unhealthy obsession, and yet we are told that, like, he's the character we're supposed to sympathize with. We're supposed to, like, want to see him redeemed and see him get the girl. And that, uh, you know, maybe it's just tastes have changed since 2000, but yeah. The stalker stuff, the stalker stuff of him hiding in the, the vents was, this, like, were some of the scariest parts of the episode. Like, yeah, he's I'm... clearly crazy. Let's get to, let's get to that. Uh, I'm just going to go ahead and ask, Dykus, are you scared of this? Yes. Yes. <laughs> the sweetest episode this season, and the answer is yes. That was what was so interesting about this episode to me, was that it has a a complicated, sort of morally difficult character, and it, it does something that very few episodes manage to do, in that it finds a balance of being, like, it manages to be a love story that also has multiple scary moments in it. For all its flaws, I really have to commend this episode for, for that. Yeah. 
I mean, this is not like an episode that's going to keep a person up at night scared, unless they're my wife, who is like perpetually terrified of home invasion. And so the idea of someone hiding in the vents is probably just nightmare fuel for her. But for a normal human being, uh, this is not an episode that's going to keep someone up at night. It's so scary. But you do fear for the girls when there's this person, you know, theoretically in the locker room, uh, like staring at them through the vents. Yeah, before you learn that this character is a hopeless romantic, you just you just assume naturally that he's a psychopath. Yeah, there's a big tonal shift. I mean, I guess he is a psychopath, but... Yeah, but he was also raised as a mutant in the sewers, presumably raised by escaped zoo penguin. Presumably. We have to assume, in the absence of any evidence to the contrary. I mean, like, let's, let's, let's just go ahead and lay out this guy's extended family. Escaped zoo penguins. Uh-huh. Dr. Kurt Connors. <laughs> yep. Um, that Rat King from Ninja Turtles. Yep, the Rat King and from Hey Arnold. The Rat King from Hey Arnold, and if he is lucky, the actual Ninja Turtles. <laughs> they also have three fingers. Yeah, <laughs> they hold their hands up to his, like in the movie Tarzan, and like <laughs> a violin cover of "You'll Be in My Heart" starts playing. <laughs> oh God! Don't make me! Don't make me make that! Don't make me make that! <laughs> a tuba version of "You'll Be in My Heart" starts playing as Michelangelo grips the the lurker in his rubbery hands and holds him to his hardened chest. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's what's gonna play us out. So, before we go, we have to make note, this is the last Andy story. Yeah. We haven't given any of the other Midnight Society members a big send-off, but, I don't know, Andy and Quinn were the two that we, I think, had the biggest soft spots for. Yeah, Andy has, uh, maybe more than any other character this season, he's developed a lot, right? Like, over the, over the course of the new batch, Andy's had the most character development. Yeah, he went from a complete loser to making out with a girl on a garbage couch. It's also worth noting that, like, he is maybe more than anyone the character who has had a fucking home run as far as their final episode goes. I don't know if this is necessarily, like, a top five episode for me, but it's got a richness and a complexity that no one else has managed to achieve in a long while. Let's just take a quick look at the episodes that he told. He told the tale of the misfortune cookie, which was... (laughs) Strange. uh, A perfect middle-of-the-road episode. He told the tale of the hunted, which was also kind of generic, but I think we both liked it to an extent. And then back-to-back, he told the tale of the photo finish and the tale of the last dance, which were both, I think, really strong episodes. Yeah, Andy has a theme here for really sort of nuanced and complex character episodes. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't don't know if that was intentional, but he... Photo finish had uh, a complex villain who was confused about, like, what had happened to them, and the revenge that they wanted was not a very straightforward thing. Like their anger and, and unhappiness was unusual. And there were tones of racism in that episode. Like there was a lot to unpack there, Andy. I mean, even the villain there was like a guy who was bullied to death. Like all of his, yeah, all of his episodes have either very complex villains or no villains at all. Which is also kind of an interesting thing. Again, I don't know if that was intentional, but if it was like hats off to them for doing such an interesting job with a character. Yep. And we'll probably talk about that more in the season seven Fradies. Yes, but a very strong final showing for Andy here. Good job.
so that's the end of the tale of the last dance uh thank you all for joining us for this very strange review coming up next week we have the third to last episode of are you afraid of the dark and boy oh boy if we've ever been excited about a title it has to be this one right that's right we're going to be watching oh man i hope this is another like re I hope this is another very year 2000 episode. We're watching The Tale of the Laser Maze. <laughs> the Tale of the Laser Maze. This is, in my mind, this is going to be like Wisdom Glass. My favorite part of this is looking at Wikipedia. The villain of this episode is Drake. <laughs> <laughs> get your Drake memes ready, everyone. We are going to get our final Tucker story. This is going to be the last episode of the show by that a member. going to be a big deal. By a member of both Midnight Societies. I'll have to ready the tuba for this one. Yeah. Uh, so we just so we've said goodbye to Andy, and we're about to say goodbye to Tucker. And then there's only one person left. By by process of elimination, maybe you can guess who it is, but we'll find out very soon as we as we creep towards the end. Yep. So definitely join us next week for that. And in the meantime, uh, send us your Are You Afraid of the Dark Drake memes on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash You Scared of This on Twitter. At you scared of this. Scream. <laughs> uh, Twitter at you scared of this. Our entire back catalog is on SoundCloud. SoundCloud.com slash you scared of this. Dykus, you were listening to all of it recently. Do you have another recommendation of an old episode for people to go back and 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 give a try? Nope. I do actually. What episode number was our interview with DJ? I don't think it's listed numerically. I think it's just listed as bonus episode and interview with DJ McHale. We, I was talking to a new listener, someone who hadn't, uh, someone who was just sort of diving into our work, and they started with the photo finish, and uh, I was trying to think of old episodes to recommend to them. So I'm going to recommend that if you're just joining us, go back and listen to the interview with DJ. That's a good one. Uh, and while you're at it, don't forget to like us and subscribe and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and Google Play Music. And with all of that out of the way, we'll see you next week. Alright, let's go ahead and declare this episode of You Scared of This closed. But why is Norman Lear still making television? Even if I liked doing something that much, I wouldn't do it when I was 95. I wouldn't do anything. I don't want to do the things I like now. I don't know. Maybe when you're that old, being able to still work is a privilege. Maybe he's just doing it to, like, show off to the other old (laughs) people he knows. You didn't poop your pants? I made another TV show! I mean, I'm making fun of him for being 95 years old, but, you know, good job, Norman Lear. By the time I'm your age, I will not have made one TV show. Unless someone adapts our show into television. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) <laughs> I, would that be like a Siskel and Ebert style? Like we sit down in chairs and talk about like clips from the episode, or is it going to be a fictitious account of our lives? Oh, it could be a fictitious account of our lives. I didn't think about that. I think it's going to be a Mystery Science Theater 3000 version of our show. Oh, that that would be the best. Where it's you and me and a puppet. Only like the puppet's not a sentient separate character. It's just me with a puppet on my hand. <laughs> well, that is it's- your specialty. Yeah. <laughs>